Daniel Boorstin, in his 1962 classic, The Image, says, Demanding more than the world can give us, we require that something be fabricated to make up for the world's deficiency. listening to The Currency. Welcome. I'm your host. I'm Mike Gaston, and this is episode number 82. The date is February 21st, 2021, and today we're going to answer the question, where, oh, where should I get my news from? I get this question a lot, and recently I was talking with a friend on the phone, and uh, he's like, gosh, where does one go to get good news? Like, where can you go? What can you trust? We're living in an age of fake news. We've had that phrase bandied about. Now, President Trump made it popular, but he isn't the originator of that phrase. That phrase has been used by the left and the right to accuse each other of falsehood, (laughs) of manipulation, and so on. But, you know, it's a really simple mind that looks at the news today and thinks, well, I'm getting the truth. You know, Anderson Anderson Cooper and uh, Jake Tapper and all these guys... They're giving me the truth. It is the very simple mind that thinks that. And I think the problem for the average person, the person that desires the truth, the person that wants to just know what's going on in the world around me, is that all of these outlets, left, right, and center, are not really providing good information. They're not providing good information, not information that you can trust. And of course, we tend to look for news based on our own political affiliation, worldview, and leanings. If you're really into the markets and the economy and so on, you tend to go to the Wall Street Journal, maybe The Economist, some of these financially oriented news organs. Uh, if you're into you know, left-leaning Democrat progressive politics, you're hitting a lot of the mainstream kind of CNN, MSNBC, I would also add that a lot of just average people turn those on because they're just big brands. They're not aware that this is necessarily progressive news. They're just thinking, well, this is the the trusted, verified, well-known source for news. It's it's kind of like the the Cheerios of of news sources. Just a big brand. You know the brand, you trust it, and so you you just consume it. If you're a right-leaning person, right-wing kind of guy or gal, you're listening to Fox News and some of the uh, alternative sources online, things like OAN, uh, which is the, I don't even know what that stands for, Once America News, I don't know, I don't know what that stands for, OAN. But there's some of these kind of rebel news organizations, these little networks trying to pop up on YouTube and so on. And all of us are checking out various commentators that we like to listen to, again, based on our worldview. But the problem with all of these is that they are biased. And not only are they biased, but they don't often tell us the news. They don't cover things that are happening. They don't give us the information that we need to be able to make good decisions. In almost all cases, we're being manipulated. We are being propagandized, if you will. And we're really just having to choose, well, which way do I want to be manipulated? What stories do I want to be fed? What ways do I want to be molded? And, and what ways do I want my perspective to be skewed? We're, we're kind of identifying ahead of time, well, I'm kind of right wing. So uh, I want to listen to, God rest his soul, Rush Limbaugh or Sean Hannity or, you know, fill in the blank. There's a bunch of pundits. And if you're a left-leaning person, you're gravitating towards those folks. 
Now, the mainstream news media has been able to kind of capitalize on its position as mainstream, these big trusted brands. But as you start to peel away, and you don't have to peel away too much, uh, you start to listen, peel away some of the layers and get behind what they're saying, you start to realize very quickly that this is also slanted. This isn't objective information providing. This is commentary. This is reframing situations. A couple episodes ago, we talked about that story in Time magazine. You wouldn't think of Time as like a left-wing progressive mouthpiece, would you? And you shouldn't. I mean, Time is a classic news magazine in the U.S. And yeah, you go, oh, it's maybe center. People tend to think of Time as like center, maybe a little left of center. Like people, I don't think people know. But you read that article, and this is a very left-leaning article. It talked about people that actually, admittedly, proudly manipulated a national election for the president. They manipulated it. They used data science. They used activists. They used all kinds of uh, methods. They actually used the law. They tried to get into states and get election officials to change the law at the last minute to take away the fair level playing ground and to weight the scales, to mix my metaphors, uh, in the favor of the side that they wanted to win. This wasn't about wanting to make sure that the election was fair or that it was honest. It was about trying to get a certain result. It was all holds or no holds barred rather to get rid of the sitting president and to make sure that whoever can get in there turned out to be Joe Biden. Now, Time Magazine, the way this article was presented, this was heroic, this is wonderful. But whenever they spoke about Trump or his team, it was always Trump and his henchmen. I mean, if that's not manipulation, now this is from Time Magazine, a magazine, a news organ, a platform, a brand that we all tend to trust, that we think of as a classic American news organ. And my point here being that we really can't go to any of the mainstream media if we're looking for good information. Now, there is a large cohort of people in this country that want to be fed something. They want to hear a certain narrative. They don't want to have to think. They don't want to have to feel uncomfortable. They don't want to have to maybe question things or see the world in a way that doesn't necessarily line up with their own worldview, with their own belief system, with their own narratives. And those people are going to, you know, hold on to these platforms and get their information from them. They're going to keep the TV running in the background. They're going to watch videos. They're going to listen to podcasts from branded, trusted news sources, not because they think it's superior, not because they think it's more true, but because it's what makes them feel good. But today I'm going to answer the question, well, where does one go to get good information? What does one do if one really is hungry for the truth, if, if, if you want to get good information, if you want to have a source that provides you real news and allows you to see the world unvarnished, allows you to make your own decisions about the world around you, where does one go? I'm going to answer that today. Before we get into that, I want to spend a few minutes just talking about how do we get to where we are. I'm not going to do this big uh, discursive ramble through the history of news, but I want to start back a couple hundred years. Let's go back to the 1700s, which would be th almost 300 years now, now that we're in the 2000s. 
and talk a little bit about, well, what was the news back in the day and how did we get to where we are today and where are we today? I mean, I think that's, that bears talking about where are we today? But if you think of the news, the word news, uh, the word itself is new. The root is new. It's, it's what's new, the news. I remember as a child when it occurred to me that the word news meant new. <laughs> I was like, whoa, <laughs> kind of blew my mind. Uh, maybe not Maybe not a very intellectually uh, astute six-year-old. I don't know. But when it occurred to me that the word news was rooted in the word new and that it was reporting things that were new, I kind of had my mind blown. But from that, we can understand this idea of new, that the news was the reporting of things that happened that were new. Now, theologically, philosophically, the way that people looked at the world back in those days, and not everybody was a Christian, so don't, you know, don't get up in arms here. There were deists, there were Gnostics, there were Christians, uh, there were atheists and agnostics. But as a whole, Western culture, Western civilization, the European and now American culture, the North American culture, looked at the world through the lens of kind of a theological uh, lens, if you will. Looked at the world through the lens of, of their inheritance from this Judeo-Christian society. And so often when people were looking at the news, they were looking for the things that were happening that were either God's hand or the devil's hand. These were events that just happened. These were spontaneous events. What I mean by that, to give example, would be maybe there was an earthquake somewhere. Maybe there was a flood. Maybe a war broke out. Maybe there was a fire. These were the bigger kind of spontaneous events they didn't always have to be natural, meaning it just wasn't an earthquake. It could be a war. It could be a man-made thing. It could be a fire that burned down a city, which, of course, would be a natural event applied to a human uh, institution or structure. But these were the things that were happening in the world around you. And theologically, the idea was you're trying to get a sense for what is God doing in his sovereignty? What good and what evil is happening in the world around me? Now, there wasn't necessarily enough of these events to cover what we now have as a daily news cycle. These were often monthly broadsheets, maybe a front and back page made possible by the printing press. Uh, one of our founding fathers, Benjamin Franklin, uh, was also a printer, put out a broadsheet, a newsletter or a newspaper, if you will. These things came out on a regular basis. They were not daily. They were often just monthly. And it was just an update. Famine here, a bumper crop over there, earthquake here, uh, you know, mass migration there, uh, you know, an invention discovered. These were, the, these were the events that happened just in the day-to-day -day life of human beings. These were spontaneous events. They were not manufactured. They were not created. And people would want to sit down and read these papers to understand what was going on in the world around them. They weren't looking to have their worldview changed. They weren't looking to be propagandized. This wasn't about manipulation. Now, look, there were broadsheets that went out. There were, there were brochures that went out and leaflets that went out that might argue a political position that might make uh, an argument against a certain uh, movement by, uh, 
an enemy, meaning, you know, the king is going to proclaim this new thing and we're, this broadsheet's going to go out anonymously to, to try to fight it, etc. I mean, it's not that people didn't have opinions. It's not that people didn't try to sway one another to make arguments, to, to fight for what they thought was right. But when it came to the news, it was a reporting of these events that just spontaneously happened. Now, over time, news shifted from being a reporting of spontaneous events to becoming something to be consumed, something to be enjoyed. And what people started to figure out was that they could create news items. I quoted Daniel Borston in, uh, at the open here. And Borston in his book, The Image, talks about this concept of the pseudo-event, the pseudo-event. A pseudo-event is this created or manufactured news story. And he makes the argument, he made this argument back in 1962. I said 62, it could be 61. I think it's 62. That um, in a book well worth reading, by the way, The Image, if you haven't read it, you, you should definitely check this out. It was written in the 60s, but my goodness, is it appropriate? More so than he even realized when he wrote it today. I mean, it's just mind-blowing. When you read this, you just see, wow, we've come so far and he was spot on. But this idea of the pseudo-event, this is a manufactured event. So let me give you an example of a pseudo-event so you can kind of get your mind around this. Let's say, for instance, you're part of a not-for-profit. And this not-for-profit you know, raises funds for kitty cats and puppy dogs. Isn't that sweet? And they've been around for 30 years. And you're trying to figure out, well, how do we get some publicity? How do we get some visibility? We need more donors. We need some support. Nobody really cares that much about what we're doing, but we really care about the kitty cats and the puppy dogs. So you have some genius marketing guru on your board and they say, well, hold on a second. Let's create an event. Let's do a 30 year anniversary event. We're going to do a big dinner. We're going to invite a bunch of dignitaries. We're going to do a big giveaway. We're going to do, you know, one of these charity auctions. We'll, we'll get, I, I'm friends with a local newscaster. We'll get them to be the MC. Maybe we can get a couple local celebrities, people that are well-known for being well-known. That's a celebrity, someone who's well-known for being well-known. <laughs> we'll these are pseudo people. <laughs> We'll put something together to celebrate this 30th. Now, a pseudo event often is based on something true. They are turning 30 years old, but who cares? I mean, 30 years old, big deal. It doesn't mean anything to anybody. But they can take this truth and manufacture an event. And because they pull in, and because they invest a lot in this, by the way, time, not just money, but time, they create this event, they pull in the right people, they're going to get coverage. The news media is going to come down. They're going to cover this thing and so on. And all of a sudden, you've created a pseudo event, this 30th anniversary. You get dignitaries down. You get some of the, you know, the hoity-toity of the, of the society. Uh, the hoi polloi, I, I believe, would be the people. The, the commoners, I think, is the hoi polloi. But you get the hoity-toities down there. And uh, all of a sudden, you've got this real thing. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, 30 years, congratulations. And there's a news story. And wow, this, you know, kitty cat puppy dog sanctuary. And what a wonderful thing they've done for our community. Three decades of serving the local community. And well, there's the mayor and there's that, you know, MC that everybody sees on their nightly news, the local news, um, you know, Gail, who's very serious, et cetera, very respected and the next thing you know, you've created a news event. It's a, it's a pseudo event. It's not a real thing. I mean, it's physically real. It happened, 
but it's just kind of made up. And by being made up, it creates an opportunity for coverage. Now, there's a thing here going on. And, you know, when you're doing a monthly broadside or broadsheet or whatever you call these things, you're not going to put that in there. You don't have room for it. You want to keep room for things like earthquakes or, you know, giant whales swallowing a ship. These are the things that make the news, kids. These are the, these are the, the uh, you know, the events that happen just kind of serotypically. Blah, serotypically. I can't say that word. What am I doing? I'm going to sprain my tongue if I'm not careful here. I'm not even going to try. I'm really, I was stopping for a minute thinking, well, I've got to figure out how to say that word. I'm not even going to cut this out. I'm leaving it in. We're moving on. But the things that just happen, you're not going to put in a 30th anniversary if you put a, a broadside out once a month, you know, front and back sheet. But if you've got daily news, if you've got on the hour news cycles, you're going to cover that thing. It's going to show up. It's going to show up on some local television. It might show up in a local newspaper and so on. And, the, and what it ends up doing is, what's really fascinating here, it provides content for the news organization to put out there. So now all of a sudden there's a news story they can talk about. They can chit chat for, you know, 45 seconds on that evening's news, maybe have a couple uh, photographs or maybe some live video, maybe have somebody on site with their little microphone saying, you know, thanks, Donna, I'm here now as they're doing the auction and people look so happy. Okay. And the other thing that it ends up doing is it ends, it lends credibility now to this little kitty cat puppy dog, not for profit. Wow, 30 years, a big deal. Oh, big part of our community. Look, they're on the news. If they're on the news, they must be important. So these pseudo events are kind of self-feeding. The other thing that they do is they spin off other events. So for instance, on a national level, the uh, presidential debates, uh, totally a pseudo event, totally a pseudo event. And Borston talks about these. You know, it, we're, we're watching these debates like we're figuring out, you know, which candidate's going to be better. Well, think about this. Do you think a president has to on the spot, in less than two minutes, come up with an answer to a really tough international problem that sprung on him or her. <laughs> is that how it works? Like the best person? Because this is what happens, right? You've got some news hack or panel of hacks. They're going to ask these candidates a question. The candidates aren't supposed to know the questions ahead of time. So they've got to be really good. It just you throw a question out of the blue at them and they've got to be really good at answering it in less than two minutes and trying to cut off their competitor who's trying to talk over them. Is that really the quality that we need in someone to lead a nation? You don't think a president has armies of advisors and researchers and something happens and that man or woman goes to that army of researchers and advisors. They talk through it. They figure it out. They get all the information on the table and then a decision is made. Do you think Bush or Carter or Obama or even Trump who in Trump, you know, we, I think Trump made a lot of decisions without his advisors because he's like, I know the answer. I don't need to hear it from you. But I think he listened to his advisors, too. I think people told him, Mr. President, here's what's going on. Oh, the, the Uyghur people in China. You know, like I, th I don't think that Trump was just totally eating hamburgers and watching uh, television all the time. I think he'd listen to his advisors. He didn't always listen to their advice. They might say, we think you should do this. He'd say, yeah, thanks very much. I'm going to do something different. I know what to do here. Okay, you want confidence. But the way that these presidential debates are set up, you'd think that we're choosing someone that's got the ability to know everything, have every answer, and, and never consult with anybody and be able to communicate the answer in under two minutes. Like that's the quality you need for a great president. And this is a total pseudo event. 
it's constructed and manufactured. And what is interesting about these debates and other pseudo events is they spin off multiple other pseudo events. So you have the event, they get up there, they do their thing. Oh, we watch with bated breath who won and oh, wow, he scored there and there. Then you get the coverage of the event. You get the moments afterwards where they break it down. We think this, we think this. And for days, there are write-ups and panel discussions and pundits telling us what they think was good, bad, and so on. There are all these events that spin off. The, the pseudo-event is a very powerful thing. And if you start to look at our news, what started happening for us uh, around the time that, that photography and videography and audio became much more accessible, much more real, much more a part of how we got information. Remember back in the 1700s, somebody was spinning off hundreds of sheets off a printing press. Probably no even no images, mostly they're just text. Fast forward, you know, turn of the century, you're getting photography, uh, you're getting radio, you know, eventually television with video feeds, et cetera. And we start getting our image, images and our information rather much more graphically. And so what happens with the news is it moves away from just this limitation placed on it by the media, the, the, the technology at the time, and it opens up an experience. So for instance, you get more information and it's preferable to watch something on TV than to be live at an event in, in most cases. If there's a parade with a famous person in the parade, You'd much rather see it on television. You're going to see the person. It's going to seem exciting the whole time. You're going to see crowds and music and noise and fanfare. You're going to see this famous person in the parade. You're going to have a great view because of multiple camera angles. If you actually went to that parade to watch the person, hours of boredom, maybe you're cold, you're waiting, you're crowded with people. It, it smells, it's frustrating, and people are jostling, and, and you're just sitting there like there's no excitement, there's no music, there's no fanfare until... The parade gets to you. And at that point, you may or may not even be able to see the individual that you came there to see. And if you see him, it's a glimpse. It's over in a second. They're past and, and that's it. So these pseudo events are better experienced through things like television, radio, digital media, video, and so on. They're much more dynamic. They're much more exciting. So the reality of the event, the reality of a parade, let's say, is much more mundane and boring and actually not enjoyable, whereas the pseudo event around it, all the camera angles, the the you know the pundits, oh this is a great parade, I can't wait to see you know you get these talking ads, they're on location, they're cutting from thing to thing, they might do a quick backstory on the famous person, you know Susie Jones who this parade is in honor of, you know as a child was barefoot in the in the in the hills of Tennessee, now she's a famous uh, famous musician, etc. She's played before kings and queens. I mean, you get all this entertainment packed into an event, the pseudo event. Well, because this is more entertaining, because it's more enjoyable, we started to want to get our news from these detached media, things like television, radio, and so on. And they would create these pseudo events for us to enjoy and to, and to consume. These are very pleasurable. The, the images, the audio, the whole package was much more dynamic, much more engaging, much more fascinating, much more consumer friendly. It's entertaining than to sit and watch a real event happen or to read about it in some broadsheet somewhere. And so you get these forces coming together 
a change in theological and philosophical view about life, the kind of elimination of theology and God's hand in the world. It is what it is. That's a post-enlightenment reality. On top of that, you get this technology that allows us to see sights and sounds, images, action. It's dynamic. We get editing and broadcast capabilities. It makes it more interesting to watch and consume and enjoy the news and events from the comfort of our home. You get this concept of the pseudo event that then spawns other pseudo events. And, and, and you have this desire now from the public. I want more of this. This, this parade was great. The football game was fun. Like all these things are great to watch. I want more. And, and this is where you get these, you know, pundits afterwards and we're going to break it down and let's talk about what the quarterback did well. Let's talk about what he didn't. It's all contrived, but it's contrived to give us what we want. We're demanding more. We want more of this stuff. It's fun. It's good. It's exciting. And so now you've got 24-hour news networks, 24 hours, seven days a week, 365 days a year news networks, and not just one, but many of them, able to put together really sophisticated, highly edited, highly engineered, highly manufactured pseudo-events on a 24-7 basis. I tell you if, you, if you think about what I'm sharing right now and you watch the news over the next handful of days. And it doesn't have to just be the news, meaning it's 7 p.m. and it's time for the ABC uh, nightly news. I'm talking about just news channels. Watch them. Watch Think about how much of this is manufactured, how much of this is constructed, how much of this is a pseudo event. Having a talking head, a journalist, some type of personality, a Chris Cuomo, a Don Lemon, or whoever these guys, Jake Tapper, any of these guys, talking. And it could be, it could even be, by the way, PBS. It doesn't have to be one of the major networks. It could be the highbrow PBS. It could, it doesn't always have to be common or popular. These things are manufactured, the opinions, the commentating, the pundits, the panels, the interviews, these are all pseudo events. And so what you get is this idea that you and I are being informed about the world around us. But what we're really being given is a nonstop feed of entertainment and packaged information, these pseudo events in the guise of news. Now, there's another dynamic. I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but just I think it's important to mention. The other dynamic here is that, that we were taught in school. I don't know about you, but I remember being taught in the 70s in grade school that, that journalism is objective, that journalists are objective. You've got to remain objective. And this is like the, what is it, the fourth estate? You've got these different estates of the country. I can't remember which it was, the third or fourth estate. If there are any school teachers out there, please get in touch with me. MikeGaston.com. Throw me a comment uh, via the contact form on the homepage. But it was one of the, maybe it's the fifth estate. I don't know. I could look it up. I'm too lazy. But one of the estates. But, you know, the, the free press is one of the estates. And the idea is that the press is is objective and it's necessary because we need to know the truth. If we're a democracy and we're going to vote for people, based on their policies and what we think about the world around us, where we think we should go and so on as a nation and as a society, then we have to be well-educated and the free press helps do that along with education. I would argue that, that both of those are actually working against, they're, they're uneducating us, they're uninforming us. But, but the idea is that these are supposed to be objective. And the fact of the matter is this dynamic, I think we all know. And if you're unwilling to admit this, then I think you're, you're lying to yourself they are not objective anymore, if they ever were. I mean, there were muckrakers and so on, sensationalists back in the day. But I, I was a yellow journalism. Boy, I've been going back to like grade school, Catholic grade school. Thank you, Mr. Edelman. Uh, it's, it's, they're not objective. 
and they're, and they're entertaining us. They're feeding us a consumer product, which are these pseudo events. They've got to fill the time. We demand more. We love it. If, if you don't enjoy consuming stuff, I mean, it's enjoyable. I, it's, it's like sports. This is why we love politics so much because these, the, the coverage of it is half the fun. You and I don't really know Joe Biden's real uh, policies. We don't know what he really wants to accomplish. We don't know what these people are really all about. And I'm not saying there's a secret. I don't mean conspiracy-wise. We don't know. I haven't talked to him. I haven't really picked uh, through his career. I mean, I've, I've paid attention to Joe Biden, quite honestly. I've watched him have to bow out of opportunities because he was a liar. He lied. He got caught lying, uh, cheating in law school. He got caught plagiarizing multiple times. Uh in his run for president back when he had uh, 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 darker color hair uh, back in the, I want to say the nineties, early nineties, I think it was, um, you know, this is a guy like when Obama picked him, he picked him because he was harmless. He picked him because he, he kind of brought an air of respectability because he was a bit of a suit. He was kind of an image. Um, but he, this was not a political heavyweight. Joe Biden's never been a political heavyweight. So that said, like, I'm aware of Joe's uh, propensity to not tell the truth, to embellish, to, to, to bullshit, quite frankly. And he's an Irishman. Give him a break. He can't help it. Uh, <laughs> but, but I don't, I, I can't sit and tell you what is, what gets Joe Biden out of bed? What is he, you know, what are his real policy? He'll talk, oh, you know, coal miner's son kind of BS, you know, Hills of Pennsylvania, all that kind of thing. But I don't know what he's all about. I mean, I can tell you about the things he's doing now that are just mind-boggling. The, the executive orders, the transgender stuff, I mean, shutting down the pipeline, putting thousands of people out of work. And we've had, we've had more than 100,000 than they were expecting. I think there was like 800,000 jobless claims this last month, uh, which was 100,000 more than they were expecting. I don't know what's going on there, but my point being... We feel like we know these people. We feel like we know their policies. We feel like we've been educated really, oh, Joe Biden this and Joe Biden that. And, you know, we, we read their biographies that they don't even write. They get, they get ghostwriters to write. These are, these are all pseudo events. They put out a book. Oh, someone put a book out. Let me learn about them. And you're not learning about them. This is manufactured information, often based on some element of truth, but it's manufactured. So what you've got now and we're going to get to the answer of how do you find a good news source. What you've got now is 24-7 pseudo-events. There are more pseudo-events being reported. We're consuming more pseudo-events. These are pop culture references. These are, these are flaky, thin, sugary, sweet candy events. These are not meaty, substantive events. They're not um, happening uh, spontaneously. These are not the things that are going on in the world. These are not the dynamics and the forces that you and I need to be aware of to understand the world around us. Do you understand the, what's going on in Russia? Do you understand what's going on in China? Do you understand the, the forces, the drives, the dynamics? Do you understand the hundred year arc of, uh, of the Chinese people? Do you understand the, you know, the 200 year uh, arc of the Bolshevik revolution and where it's at right now in, in Russia? No. And that's not an accusation. We don't, we don't know these things, but these things have a real bearing. These are the things that happen that we need to understand. Not that you have to become like a, a historian here to understand your world. I'm just saying we're being reported to 24 seven. We feel very informed. 
And the more up you are on the pseudo events, the more you are considered and feel informed. So when you're with other people, and these are for, this is for intellectuals, academics. I mean, we're all a part of this. This We're saturated in this. This isn't like, well, it's just, there's a few, you know, the couch potato schlubs. If you're kind of rolling your eyes and thinking, well, I'm not a sucker. You're a sucker. I love you, but you're a sucker. <laughs> Because we're all consuming this stuff. I'm putting myself in there too. I think we just need to be aware of it. And I think there is a, there's a way out. You know, you even look at some of the, oh my gosh, Twitter, you know, Trump said this thing. Trump, by the way, I want to be very clear. Trump was the master of the pseudo event. This guy, he knows the pseudo event. He understands it. He knew how to create drama. He knew how to create chaos. He knew how to capture the news cycle. You don't think that the Trump rallies weren't pseudo events? I mean, they're perfectly orchestrated for media pickup, media commentary, you know, spin-off pseudo events, commentators and and people reacting against it and people in love and for it. I mean, this is Trump was so good at this. He still is. But he's he's the master of the pseudo event and was well before he was president. This is one of the things about Donald Trump. I mean, he understood it. I mean, he really knew how to make the media dance to his tune. And the reason being is he knew, you know, people will hear this and go, oh my gosh, you're saying that Trump's this evil manipulator. No, Trump understood what the media was all about. This is why he always called them fake news. He understood that they were just publishing and promoting and driving and creating pseudo events 24-7. They try to create them. If you look at the um, the daily, you know, press secretary, now it's Jen Psaki. So that alone is a pseudo event. That's just a pseudo event. But then each news person is trying to create their own pseudo event by asking some tough question, a gotcha. They're trying to get you. They did this to the Trump press secretary, whether it was um, whether it was uh, Huckabee or uh, uh, Sarah. Oh, what's her name? Sarah Huckabee, something Huckabee. Or this Katie McEnany. I mean, it was always this, you know, Jim Jim Acosta grandstanding. Oh, he's trying to show what... That's not him just being an egomaniac. He was trying to create an event. Him getting kicked out. They loved that. That was a pseudo event. Then they could take him to court. They could take the Trump administration to court and fight it. Another pseudo event. They just keep making their own news. They create their own news. But what you've got now with the news system, and I was saying a moment ago, Trump understood. That's why he called them fake news. He was part of it. He knew how to make them dance because he knew what they were desperate for. And he'd give it to them. And I think they hated him for it. It's like, we, we, I hate you, but I love you. It's like, I need you. Trump made them, just like Obama was the best gun salesman for America for eight years running. Gun sales went off the charts when Obama was president. Uh, I think Trump... Uh, sold a lot of news. He made the news media quite rich, quite rich. But what you've got now is this kind of marrying of the pseudo event with propaganda. You've got the news media picking sides. They have a progressive vision for where they're trying to take the country. And so they create pseudo events, they report pseudo events, and they're pushing propaganda. They're trying to mold the way that we think and see. They're not just trying to entertain us they're not looking to create media events just so that they can fill their slots and capture eyeballs. They want you and I to see the world a certain way. And so you have this kind of marriage of propaganda and the pseudo event. And it's quite disturbing, especially when 
the average person doesn't seem to understand what's going on around them. So what do we do? How do we find a good source? And the answer is actually quite simple. The answer is twofold. The first part is there are no news sources that you can turn to. It's that simple. There are no news sources that you can turn to. You go, well, Mike, then what do you do? Do you get a, do you watch a lot of different news sources? Do you have to start bringing lots of feeds in so that you can kind of try to take the best parts and spit out the bones and, and kind of get a, uh, you know, a, a view that you've put together through a composite view from all these different sources? No, no. The way that you can get good information is to step out and ask a different question. You have to ask the question, what is my source of understanding about the world that I find myself in? How is it that I understand the world I find myself in? What lens am I looking through to understand the world that I find myself in? Now, that might seem a little conceptual or abstract. Here's what I am recommending. I am recommending that you don't necessarily chase after news information. Trust me, in the world we live in, it's going to come to you. It's next to impossible to avoid information coming in, whether they're pseudo events, real information or propaganda, you are going to experience it. That's the reality of the world we live in. Unless you become like Professor Ted Kaczynski <laughs> and you live disconnected from the world in some shack somewhere and you're sending little packages around to get the people's attention, God forbid. But if you're listening to this podcast, the odds are you're getting information. You can't help but avoid it. So don't worry about that. What's more important is what kind of lens do you have to evaluate that information? And a lot of us go, we just think, well, I'm smart. I, can't, I won't be manipulated. I know better. We all think that. Everybody thinks that. There isn't anyone that thinks, if there is, is very rare. There isn't anyone out there that says, well, I don't know. I'm pretty stupid. I'm not going to know a lie when I see one. I'm not going to know... Uh, manipulation when I experience it. I'm not going to know propaganda. We all think we understand it. There's a whole nation of us, 300,000 plus, 300 million plus of us that think that we know the truth, that we're going to understand it when we see it. We're gonna, we, we all think that we're going to know uh, if our spouse is not faithful to us. We're, we all think we're going to know that when we buy that car, we won't get swindled, that we'll know better. We'll know if that salesman's trying to swindle us. We think we all know, or sorry, we all think we know. The fact of the matter is we don't. And the proof of that is look at society around you. How many people have you know? I had no idea. I had no idea this guy was embezzling money from my business. I had no idea that my child was doing drugs. I had no idea that my spouse was being unfaithful to me until one day I found out the truth. The people are always surprised. They're shattered. And I bring this up because it's very distasteful. I'm bringing it up just to say, don't be so confident that you know. I, I'm not confident that I know. And here's how you combat this. You read and consume information that has some depth to it. We've got to get off of the popular culture, you know, gravy train here, a trough, if you will. Nothing wrong with that. I like popular culture. I like popular music. I like popular shows. I'll enjoy a Netflix movie from time to time, but I'm finding myself less and less interested in that kind of stuff and more interested in thoughtful, deeper stuff. And I'm not always reading stuff that aligns with my own politics, but I'm reading things like sociology. I'm reading things like philosophy, theology, 
politics, economics. And there's a lot of fantastic, fascinating, good stuff out there. It's not like, oh, you really have to just read boring stuff. No, you you just have to get an appetite for something a little bit more substantial. If you only want to live on Doritos and ice cream, I can't help you. But if you're like, you know, I, I want to try just a piece of, just a little bite of steak. Like if you think of healthy food, you can, I don't, I don't want to eat rabbit food. That's not necessarily what I'm talking about. There's some, you ever, have you ever had, have you ever had broiled Brussels sprouts? Growing up as a kid, the way we, we my mother and everybody else, God bless her, would make Brussels sprouts, you'd boil them and they'd be like these little mushy cabbages. They were disgusting, disgusting, just squishy, mushy, soft. They taste like cabbage. Yuck, who likes it? One day when I was a grown-up, I went to a steakhouse and somebody ordered Brussels sprouts to share. And I thought, ah, these things were cut in half, probably covered in oil or butter, and they were broiled. And they were, wow, salt and pepper. They were phenomenal. I'm like, where have you been all my life? That's healthy food. That's substantial food. A piece of steak, healthy food. There's so much great food out there, literally and figuratively. And so if you want to be able to understand the world around you, it's not so much about finding the right news source because A, they're not really reporting the things that we need to know about. These are pseudo events. They're heavily, heavily uh, infused with propaganda and they're mind numbing. They're mind numbing. But if you spend the time to go a little deeper, to read books that have some depth to them, these don't have to be by the way, all uh, nonfiction, you know, philosophy. Read some of the classic literature of the Western uh, Hemisphere. Read some classic literature alone will just get your mind thinking on such a different level. Maybe read some amazing Russian literature. Solzhenitsyn or some of these other folks, I mean, there's just some amazing, amazing work. And when you read it, it's so pleasurable. It's, it's enjoyable. The stories draw you in. The characters, there's a beauty to them, a sadness, a heaviness. They're, they're thick. And, and when I say thick, I don't mean the books often are thick, but I'm just saying like there's a depth and there's a weight to these things. And it's just like, it's just like eating a great piece of steak with a beautiful, well-paired glass of wine. Oh, could you imagine that? A beautiful ribeye steak grilled to perfection finished with a little bit of butter and a nice glass of red Zinfandel, California Zin, maybe some grilled Brussels sprouts. That, I mean, that, there's literature out there and it's not, it doesn't have to be from 16 dickety do. There's some phenomenal stuff. So, so if you're more of a fiction person, start there. Don't read all this tripe, all this popular crap about you know, this propagandizing, progressive, bizarre world that we live in. There's enough of that out there. And I'm not saying like, hey, cut out all the crap. Eat your crap. Do whatever you want. But start adding in some truth. Add in some depth. The reason the classics are so important is they wrestle with the deeper ideas of humanity. And they're wrestling with the common themes that mankind has wrestled with for centuries and centuries and centuries. And these issues don't go away. Issues of faith, of loneliness, of relationships, of great highs and great lows, of struggle, conquest, defeat, victory. These are the great themes of heroism. 
I like me a good John Wick. Don't get me wrong. But man, there's something even better, something even better about the classics. And, it, and, and if you're interested, get, you know, like, like the book, The Image by Daniel Borston. Fantastic. Easy to read. This isn't like, oh, it's so academic. It's, you know, yeah, you got to turn the crap off, turn your earphones off, turn your noise off around you. Like you got to sit in a quiet house for a few minutes. Yeah. And you got to learn to focus. And, and if you haven't been doing that, if you haven't been reading for a while, it's hard. Don't get me wrong. But if you can spend 30 minutes an evening reading something like it's eye opening. You may not agree with everything that Borston's saying. That's okay. I'm not saying find stuff you agree with. I'm not even saying find things you don't agree with, but, but go with some of this deeper stuff, spend a little bit of time with it and you start to see parallels. I'm telling you, I've read this thing in 1962, it came out. I'm looking at it now and going, my goodness, this man was prescient. He understood the future. I don't even know if he knew, but like he got it. It's so applicable. It's not dated. It's not like, well, this is like a historical document. It's now. It's now. So as you're looking at the world around you, you're trying to find a good news source. My advice to you is stop trying to find a good news source. And that's not a rebuke. I'm just saying, I don't think they exist. I think the world that we live in does not provide that. But what I do think is the more that you and I consume things of depth, of truth, of substance, we become people more grounded, rooted in, in truth. We have more depth. We have more substance. And then when we are confronted with things like pseudo events and pseudo people, and I'm not saying fake people, but, you know, we're taking our cues from celebrities. What are cele celebrities are not heroic. They haven't accomplished anything great. They haven't changed the world in an important way. They haven't laid their lives down in any way significant. They haven't done something in the name of truth come hell or high water. These are people that have good publicists, that look good, that, that they're movie stars and musicians and pop idols. They're celebrities. They're well-known because or for being well-known. They're empty. They're a human walking tautology. So as you're going forward in the world today, take a little bit of time and look at the news around you and tell me if that concept of the pseudo event doesn't hit you square behind the, between the eyes. It's just, it's fascinating. And if you're interested in finding a way forward, if you're interested in living a, a more truth-oriented, truth-centered life, if you want to be free from being manipulated and propagandized, you want to be able to think for yourself, start finding ways to consume deeper, more thoughtful, human content, not nonfiction, fiction, literature. I'm, I guarantee you, it, you will become addicted to it. it. It's like the person who was only eating candy all the time and has something just good. Have you ever gone through the day where you haven't had enough water and all of a sudden it strikes you and, just, and, you, and you drink a glass of water and that water tastes so good. You're like, oh, why didn't I drink a glass of water two hours ago? Like, I'm really thirsty. Sometimes I get busy with my work. I'm just, you know, jamming away. And I, I all of a sudden it hits me. It's like, oh, I'm really thirsty. And you guzzle that, that cold water down. And you're like, that is so refreshing. I guarantee you, if, when you start to pursue this kind of stuff, you're going to feel like you're drinking from a cool, refreshing well. Guys, I love you all. I hope that this is useful to you. And I will catch you in the next episode. Thank you.